0: Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative-turned-marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. How do shifts in cultural and societal behaviours set the course of our institutions, businesses and government? In episode 11 of The B-Side, I speak to Nikki Bryson, Director of Brand and Consumer Insight at PwC and founder of The Trenches. Nikki is a brand, marketing and cultural strategist with a foundation in business, psychology and research. Her experience spans research agencies, creative agencies and consultancies, guiding the strategic direction of a portfolio of iconic clients, including Woolworths, Amazon, Commonwealth Bank, Caltechs, and Vodafone, amongst others. We discuss her role at PwC, where she advises both government and institutional clients on the social tone of Australia, as well as the macro and micro trends that are influencing sentiment and behaviour. We also talk about her passion for cultural and social research and for setting the long-term strategic direction for businesses and brands. Driven by extensive research and her own personal experience, Nikki created The Trenches, a free mentorship program aiming to create a positive learning environment and create a pipeline for young people working across media, marketing, creative technology and consulting. Nikki is a super cool, super smart and incredibly talented visionary for the industry. We had a fascinating chat and I really enjoyed it. I'm certain you will too. Cheers. I'm in the house with the wonderful, great and powerful Nikki Bryson. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Hello.
1: How are you, Nikki. It's good to see you
0: It is fantastic to see you And uh, even though we're not, the viewers can't see this Because we're not doing a video podcast yet One day, one day when I get better at doing this audio thing I might think to move on to video as well Nikki's got the most elaborate I know you didn't want me to talk about this But <laughs> you've got the most elaborate <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate um, psychedelic um, thing in the background I'm What gonna is get Nikki it behind it, me? Uh,
1: it's, Some it's kind of, the, of Indian montage one, One of the
0: Indian gods, I get my Indian gods mixed up, (laughs) but you please take a photo of that and we'll post it (laughs) on the socials. I think it's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant.
1: I'm currently um, in my mum's yoga studio in Byron Bay. We are isolating here. She has a property outside of Bangalore, so... Yeah, it's very Byron. I'm, I'm surrounded by um, geishas and Buddhists and that might not have been the right way to say that word. But yeah, gongs yeah. and...
0: <laughs> yeah, gongs, bong, dinner is ready. <laughs> That's what I I mean. love that. I really love that environment. My mother had uh, three sisters, Mary, Barb and Jenny, and all of them were hippies. Mary was an art teacher. Uh, she taught at Maryville High, which is where I went. Auntie Jenny lived in Nimbin, and she spent probably too long up in Nimbin and she was close to a lot of the um, organic farms. <laughs> You're going and, b- and, and Barb was a teacher as well. She wasn't so much in the hippie scene, but they'd all disappear sometimes. They'd come back smelling un- unfamiliar smell, but it was quite an <laughs> interesting smell.
1: That <laughs> I'm sure it became familiar when
0: you. It came, yeah. it sure became it became familiar when I got to my. Late teens. <laughs> how have you been? Speaking of lockdown, how has lockdown treated you?
1: Good. Where um, I'm actually really busy, which I'm grateful for work-wise. Um, so pretty under the pump, but it feels like I'm studying my HSC or something again, uh, which I think I've heard a lot of people. It's kind of uh, waking up and, and kind of the pajamas, constant teas, desk um, ritual into wine tonight situation. But it's good. It's um, I'm yet to bake bread or do a puzzle, so I feel like a bit of a failure um, when I go on Instagram and, and I'm not yeah. really isolation properly, but um, it's good. I think it's a, a positive deceleration for the world in general at the moment, so it's nice for everyone to kind of, and nature to unwind a little bit, I think.
0: I think that's a really good way of framing it positive deceleration i haven't baked bread yet but what i really have enjoyed is just being able to spend more time with family and um being yes, more 100%. Pre- present and, and and doing stuff like this as well like i just really like speaking to people you know yeah. and <laughs> it's funny that it sort of takes some of these global shifts to be able to um reframe and refocus you know the things that, that matter you know having cool. conversations and
1: yeah, it's beautiful like that. Like I've read this somewhere, like nature shoved us all inside so that we would, you know, pay our price for destroying everything for a couple of months. Fireman's flourishing and people are walking down the street, you know, hand in hand and um, sitting on their stoops and their porches reading and doing puzzles. It's actually like um, whilst it's a very hard time for some people, there is a lot of beauty that can come out of this and a really important moment um, in the lot of stuff that we're doing or looking at around how you positively stop and shift because there's a lot of things that as a society and a business and economy um, we probably needed to shift out of anyway so mm. hopefully good that will come from this but um it is a weird moment in time for sure
0: it sure it surely is for most people I, like i know i haven't experienced anything like this and probably we probably won't experience anything like this in or hopefully not uh, yeah. again in our lifetimes for the listeners who don't have the Pleasure of knowing Nikki Bryson. Nikki, can you please tell us about who you are, where you're from, give us a bit of an insight into your background?
1: Hmm, I'll chunk it down linearly. So I think it kind of builds over time as most people. So I was a distracted uni student who loved business and economics, but aspired to be a psychologist. Um, I realized, I think quite quickly, that I didn't have maybe the calm demeanor or attention span for that career.
0: Um, (laughs)
1: So I kind of dwelled for a while and went corporate and um, it took me a while to get across what was, uh, I guess, a planner um, and the fact that there was this job that was strategic planning that was literally the combination of psychology and business. Um, And I think that's quite ironic actually because um, my dad's a planner and it took me a while to realise, I guess, as most kids, what he actually did at work Um, I knew he worked in advertising and I knew he created ads and, you know, went to his work a lot just to drink Coke and play pool, but I didn't actually (laughs) know that he was (laughs) in this job called planning. So um, that was a great moment for me Um, and I think my path into planning or into strategy or where I am now was a bit curved. Um, I realised I didn't have the, um, I guess, patient or skill set to be a suit Um, And it's really hard to become a strategist. So I moved into market research and I spent the first couple of years of my career in research agencies. Um, I was very lucky that I worked in two young um, kind of new research agencies. And by default, it was kind of all hands on deck. And I was both a quant and qual researcher.
0: Quant and and qual, Mm.
1: Yeah, which is amazing now. Um,
0: Now, just pausing you there, do you start with qual, then you go into quant, or is it the (laughs) other way around? Because there's this whole kind of school of thought and (laughs) the quants contradict the quals and so on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Everything in our industry, there's a lot of um, theory and it's how you apply it to different circumstances, I guess. But, um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I guess being able to do both means that it's it's, it's great. And um, so one minute, I was never bored, so one minute you'd be in the data and then, you'd be running a focus group and like you I like talking to people so I found that really interesting um, but I always watched the creative agency leave the room when we did strategic recommendations always gave insights and I always had this kind of yearning to go with them to uh, I guess solve the puzzle if you will uh, sure. So I it was time to become a planner um, and I knocked on every agency Uh, In Sydney, I think I emailed every head of strategy and asked for a coffee. And nicely, I think most of them, majority of them, met me, um, which is a testament to we have a very lovely strategic community in Australia and um, it's very strong. Mm. Um, But I was desperate to get into Leo Burnett, so um, Mm. I, you know, knew of Leo's. I knew the work they did. Obviously, at that time, Todd Sampson was the CEO, and having a CEO who was also a strategist was Incredibly alluring. And so I kind of hounded on Leo Burnett till they had a job opening. Um, And then I met you. Yes, (laughs) indeed. at Leo's
0: um this is my podcast is going to sound like one long Leo Burnett infomercial (laughs) because honestly it's pretty much (laughs) both from the time I worked there in 2005 till 2007 to my second stint (laughs) more recently when I met you I just find that there's something about Leo's as a brand and as an agency that really um, has resonated with me and it hasn't been it was never as obvious but now it's becoming increasingly (laughs) obvious that it definitely made a mark and I think Todd was very instrumental instrumental in that for sure
1: it's so funny it is that there is a leo's family and a leo's person and um i guess when i walked into that agency i just knew i was home i was Mm. like i was just my eyes were opened i loved everything about it i loved the work the people the creativity the music the t-shirts everything i just felt i just felt finally at home and that all the mm. puzzles fit. But yeah, there is a Leo's thing. It's still mm. um, that period where we all worked there, It's still kind of transcends yeah. agencies and um is very much seeing a, S- culture.
0: seeing Susie out the front as well. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? She's just I mean, she celebrated her <laughs> what was it, the fortieth year or something It's
1: this thirty seven years, yeah, or something very
0: years. It was crazy. I can tell you my first memory of Leo's. Let's let's make this a Leo's. <laughs> really just, this is your
1: life, James. You're just this is, really-
0: no, no, it's all about you. But I just want to tell you this one. My first memory was I walked into the office. Susie's sitting there. She says, have an apple. And I see this beautiful bowl of red apples sitting at the reception desk and a nice little book, which was like the little Leo Burnett's 100 Leos oh, yeah. quotes. you know. And I'm eating this apple and I'm reading all these quotes from Leo Burnett. And I said... This is just amazing. It was such a visceral experience because it just touched <laughs> me. It really was. It was like the first advertising agency I think I really, 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 really wanted to work for. Anyway, but yeah. so anyway, it go on. We'll leave it there. Sorry, i got to cut this no, infomercial <laughs> short.
1: <laughs> um, and then I guess um, I spent a couple of years in agencies, so MNC and then recently TBWA. And I just, I love creative advertising. I love, I kind of am traditionally, I guess, a brand planner, if you will. Um, So always gravitated towards the bigger agencies or the kind of more brand-led places. Um, And now I am a consultant technically. So I'm a director at PwC in our CMO advisory. Um, I kind of specialise in brand strategy still there but also um, consumer and social insights. So I think a lot of people know that I um, am passionate about brand strategy. Um, Sorry about that. I'm passionate about brand strategy and you know, love it. But I also, um, I guess what's really nice now is I'm bringing the research part of the foundations of my career back into how I kind of want to do things now in the future. So um, a big part of my role is kind of social commentary and cultural commentary. And I am deeply passionate about, which is kind of where I guess we started, um, like macro social society and um, cultural codes and kind of unpacking the economic lens and the political lens, but then how that changes Uh, behaviour. And I've been working on a theory at PwC for about six months now on, um, you know, is Australia moving into another social revolution um, based off the seventies? And I've been, um, you know, tested that at pause fest this year and, uh, I've been working on that with Russell Howcroft who's the partner in um team yeah, yeah. and, and we're actually hopefully writing a book. Um so hopefully this time next year I'm also an author, but um
0: fantastic.
1: Requires- my more self-isolation from me. Um, that
0: doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Hopefully by next year. I'm like, why haven't you written one already? Yes, seriously. <laughs> if anyone was going to do it or is destined to do it, it would be you. Like, honest to God, really. It, it's going to happen. It's already there. Time is just in the way. No, I need it.
1: to call you every day. You need to, like, do my motivational talk I mean, in the morning. Just
0: remember this. Like, time. I'm like, Time is a construct. No, but it's just time. Time's in the way, right? That's it. Nothing's yeah. stopping you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that's really long.
0: amazing, really cool. Can I? Is there a working title for the book yet? Or?
1: Um, well, actually, we've just called it now um, Australia's Second Social Revolution. We are working on the title now because it's actually really interesting. We've been working on enduring long-term social thinking and change, but COVID has almost crystallised or fast tracked the impacts of that. Um, mm. So it's adapting as we speak. But I guess what I find really interesting is a lot of the. I guess we're not short of a trend report right now or a point of view on the, the short-term impacts of COVID or not or necessarily um, there's great thinking out there around like the second to third year economic impacts. But what I guess we're trying to do is go back two decades or even three decades and kind of map how Australia got here. Um, yeah. And I think that's a lens that we want to bring to the conversation, um, which we might release earlier. I I probably, yeah, Yeah. would love to talk about that earlier. I, I would
0: love to have you back on and talk about that because it's something I'm quite interested in as well. And I've always wondered, you know, when you do your campaign dashboard and you've got, you're tracking engagements and leads and so on and Mm -hmm. i've always wanted to overlay some of the other longer term and macro trends as well like brand health because we do that every six months and then more media mentions and then the macro things that may have influenced spikes in media mentions or whatever else and i've always wanted to to layer all of that data on top of each other to see how one influences the other and is that what you're sort of talking about not not i'm talking in very visual graphic naive terms but
1: it's it's interesting we do we are working on a brand dashboard that um takes into account different parts of i guess the pwc frame of thinking so obviously economics and um you know asset valuation and things what we do also i guess what i do is brands we often you as you know brands are built in culture but um Australia has been struggling, I guess, with a sense of identity for quite a while. Um, I guess if there's one thing we can all agree on is we don't really know what it means to be Australian in a modern or contemporary context. So we're kind of unpacking that Um, which has a myriad of business implications both in, you know, creating culturally relevant brands or employer brands or marketing strategies down to niche behaviour change and mapping Mm. how it goes down into categories or verticals, even into things like how, therefore, you can forecast uh, how categories might blur um, and future kind of merger and acquisition strategy opportunities so yeah there's a myriad of of applications for it but I guess it's early days for us where i mean I've been there now back for about i think eight months so um it's something we're really passionate about but I guess something that I probably haven't A lot of people
0: might not know right now yet. Yeah, yeah. Culturally relevant brands is a really interesting one to pick up on. And I feel culturally relevant comes back to purpose quite strongly. And I think Australia really needs to figure out what its purpose is. Uh, I think broadly speaking and with our current government, not to get political because, you know, I I don't wear – blue or red war paint, and I think we need both, <laughs> both wings to fly, both left and right wings to fly, um, so I won't get political. But I will say I don't think any, for a long time, I don't think our politicians have really understood or driven home or articulated what it is that we stand for as a nation. And you look ah. at nations like New Zealand. The words that come to mind, you think progressive, punching above their weight, you think, mm-hmm. empathetic, and there's probably a few other words, but you could sort of start to pack, yeah. to th- bring together a certain package of traits that define the, the cultural brand of New Zealand. I think to your point around Australia, what is it we stand for? And I think for a long time we've, we've, we've rested on our laurels, we've dug shit out of the middle, we've flogged off a whole bunch of sheep, and what? we've sat with this archaic, bronzed, Aussie Paul Hogan-like figure <laughs> yep. that is very patriarchal, That is so at odds with the way most Australians live their lives.
1: You've literally just described the lucky country as Donald Horn wrote it, which is um, often misused as um, a positive but was actually intended to be a critique on Australia and being lucky by default from laziness of natural resources and um, some of the kind of things you pointed to. I think what's really interesting is um, also what we're looking at is how do you modernise our values? So a lot of our values are very low-key and um, potentially white and um, we have been on repeat with cultural conversations or stuck on lots of cultural conversations around obviously freedom and recognizing elders and indigenous um, people and we've been in this we call it like a constipation which is by default of having what 29 plus periods of economic prosperity we don't want to move forward because Mm. we're in fear of um, that crumbling and what we've been looking at is there's this pull apart in the generations, and I, and I, I mean that, I guess, loosely because I'm not big on stereotyping, but the young people are incredibly apathetic about government. They don't see the binary, as you were talking about, of left or right. They don't really buy into the paradigm or the narrative of um, the economic prosperity, tax and welfare, and, and, and nothing's really suiting them. And actually, out of COVID, they are gonna, inequality with youth is going to be exacerbated. Further. So, they mm-hmm. are really the ones that will suffer for the next 30 years. So, we've been looking at kind of the power that Australia's youth has and the disconnection they have with the leadership of the country and the yeah, value yeah. it
0: displays
1: and what that can end up, I guess, where that ends up in, in a decade if it's not remedied. Uh, but it's fascinating.
0: It's really interesting that you've chosen that audience that, you know, I'm not going to call it a generation because, like you, I don't buy into the. It's like star signs, right? Like Gen Y, Gen Z. I'm oh, totally so a
1: Capricorn Sagittarius.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, you are do you not believe star signs are just a genius way of um, compartmentalizing the traits that are in all of us and you say you've got these three traits and you've got those three traits and you've got these three traits and then you go oh my god yes but you actually have all 1,000 traits that are common to all of us but we just compartmentalize them anyway okay, but Gen Z I'm in the studio
1: of course I believe that
0: <laughs> <laughs> so do I you ask my wife she's like you are such a Cancerian and I, I know I am I know I am where was I going uh, yeah do you but it's interesting because the younger generations i'm sounding really old but the younger generations are born into the information generation for lack of a better word like mm-hmm. information is at hand yes. and as opposed to say maybe they the baby boomers to a certain degree the generation x's who mm. had to rely on more fixed or traditional forms of communication by way of getting their information you know and it's all very traditional and very hard set hard coded Mm. and whereas you got these young people it's like mate I can find the solutions and the answers to this I don't need to listen to a politician I don't need to listen to my teachers I don't need to you know I could you know so it's really quite fascinating that they are ironically probably the most they're the least engaged but they're the most informed
1: 100% and It's really interesting because we talk about, obviously, there's been the crisis of trust, and Edelman has tracked it for a while, and Rachel Botsman talks about it, and we know that there's been a crisis of trust with institutions and government in Australia, but what's really interesting is what you're talking about, which is this digital fuel source has created that kind of information distribution and if you look at the modern form of government or institutions they were built in an industrial age and so they are very top down and so for them to assert control they have always had to have an authority of control which has been very much we control the information through our hierarchy or our means and that's mm. how traditional organizations have maintained power and authority and you know the government to some degree through the media and so now what we're seeing is this is happening to brands and you know businesses and government which is, they now don't have authority of control of information. And so basically anyone can say whatever they want, expose whatever they do, and it's caused that kind of crisis of authority that we're seeing smart brands and we're seeing a shift in terms of how people therefore need to manage crises and be transparent and be open and actually um, be more empathetic, as we're talking about in terms of their leadership. It's definitely been a disruptive shift for sure.
0: Do you think... The better brands, and again this is one of my favourite topics, are becoming more market-oriented. Because I would say another traditional trait of the way things were done, and, and probably to be fair have shifted somewhat over the last decade or so, It was a very sales-based, top-down, not to go into Keynesian or Reaganomics or anything like that, but it was very much sales-focused. We've got products to sell and we need to, you know, whereas now it feels like we've got markets to understand. We need to build products and services that suit their needs, wants and desires. Um, It feels closer to where we're at now, where it's what is it that people want? How can we develop brands and products that suit their needs? And If understanding is Mm. the basis for that, then I think that's great. I think that's great. You know, and that's marketing, right? That's two. Yeah, I think it's
1: understanding and respecting. I think what you're saying so interesting because, I guess back then you had certain media channels and you could control the narrative, right? So if you go back to when you were saying you'd all sit around the TV Sunday night was you know new ad night and the whole family. Mm. the tv and watch the new 30 to 60 second ads that you would then hum at work the next day or sing the jingle at school it was incredibly powerful and you know you'd have your catalog and you've had your certain media you know media was much simpler and you had your sales moments now it's distributed and so therefore the role of brand in that sense is um critical to be um, consistent because... Oh, and
0: picking up, sorry to interrupt you, but picking up on that point as well, because people had such trust in authority, organisations and everything else, yeah. you know, we, we weren't such cynics, were we? You know, like if you're advertising a product on telly, oh my goodness, it's like a public service announcement. I really need to get whiter whites with Tide. You know?
1: yeah, yeah. We were a captive audience and the trust mark was the brand. So it was the yeah. yeah mark on the packaging was literal trust um so basically what we look at a lot is actually inside out branding so how do you build the brand from the business because then not only do the employees buy into it first or um, demonstrate it and are engaged by it but then across every touch point that your brand has it's consistent or at least um applied to that in the environment that it needs to. And so instead of looking at brand from particularly maybe just an advertising lens, you need to look at it across the entire business because everything is a brand opportunity or moment and I guess that trust gap is when there's hypocrisy. So it's how you approach brand in a kind of more holistic business sense I think is, is how we try to remedy that.
0: You started in the advertising industry wanting to work in the advertising industry. Now you've gone to the dark <laughs> side. The dark side. <laughs> what, what is it like? I've, I've wondered, like, is it really the dark side? What, what are the differences? Is there a, like a Darth Vader guy that comes around and the music? It's not really like that, I don't know. So, what, what are the differences <laughs> between the ad world and why is the ad world freaking out? Or at least they were freaking out about five years ago.
1: Um, no, I think it's um, similar skill sets, different applications, I would say. Hmm. Um, so I guess going back to what I was talking about from a brand point of view, uh, the way we approach brand strategy is um, going into the business and kind of looking at it holistically and building it from the inside mm-hmm. out as opposed to brand being a communication strategy or a touch point. Mm-hmm. Um, we do work heavily with agencies. So um, I briefed a creative agency last week on a business that I working heavily on, you know, their role in writing the creative strategy mm-hmm. around that to life. Would, yeah. would, I
0: be, would I be right in saying that I think the, the consultancies, they have a, a broader view of the business okay. as opposed to marketing itself. I'm not inventing the business objectives. I'm coming in halfway through and I'm looking at the, you know, the SDP and the tactics that will mm. allow us to achieve those business objectives, right, from a marketing standpoint. So where we add value need to be very clear on how and where we 100%. add value as industries. And I think what we did do for some time in the advertising industry at least, they went quite vague, broad. You know, if I go to a dentist, you fix my teeth. Yeah. Um, do you know <laughs> what I mean? I don't want him to start talking about psychology and she does that as well. She, she needs to be a psychologist. She needs to be a psychiatrist really to calm me down. That's probably where she really makes her money in this, this calming my nerves. You know, it's not so much drilling my teeth, but I go to the dentist. You know? Yeah. Delineation between an ad agency and any corporate office is becoming more blurred anyway when we're talking about people coming together, collaborating, critical thinking, problem solving in creative ways. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's the, the models have shifted everywhere. We've talked a lot about. What people may or may not know about you in terms of what's on the record what are some of the things that uh, aren't on the record
1: um i'm part Maori. um my godfather is alf stewart from home and away oh really um, yeah. like, like, what alf? is my
0: go-to's um what, uh, alf 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 stewart from home and away really
1: yeah that gets a good um, get the
0: flaming heck out of the boat shed or whatever stuff. alf stewart <laughs>
1: Wow. <laughs> the whole like um, meet and greet workshop exercise. Um,
0: yeah, you sorry, can't tell me he's half Maori. No.
1: <laughs> <I'm not laughs> half. Um,
0: Do you go back to New Zealand often? Do you get in yeah. touch with your f- far now? Um, is that how you yeah. pronounce
1: it? I'm part Maori, so um, oh, Maori. Yeah. I'm. I'm probably more of the Aussie, but um. sister oh,
0: sure. Yeah. My
1: sister speaks it, uh, and we have Why you not? know a lineage there, and um, yeah. it's really. When I got I got married there, and she was our celebrant and did half of it um, in Maori. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that's I guess something no one knows, but it's not a key attribute by any means. It's just beautiful culture. Um, Well, I don't know, James. That's that's
0: that man. That's really fantastic. That's really cool. Well, I'll you've told me one. I'll tell you one. My two brothers and my sister. Well, they're technically my half brothers and sisters, but we don't see it that way. But they are half Samoan. Yeah. So, oh, <laughs> and my grand awesome. my grandmother was born in New Zealand, but she is not um, Maori.
1: <laughs> no, it's such a good, yeah. oh, I mean, all of those islander nations are beautiful.
0: So that's interesting. So, who have been the big influences in your life, or what were some of the key events, Ooh. people, or places that have shaped who you are today?
1: I've been inspired a lot by young people, particularly people that I work with in Youngbloods on the trenches, my old team at TWA lots of young people that I work with now. They're just so interesting and they see the world differently. And as you said, they've grown up on algorithms and feeds and they are more inclusive and empathetic and a different curiosity and approach to, I think, some of the kind of guidance that you get top down. And so I've always been very um, influenced by them and continue to annoy them
0: <laughs> daily,
1: <laughs> or um, parts of joy or, or chat nonsense. So I love interesting young people that I've been grateful to either be part of a team with or um, teach or friends with. Then I guess on the other hand, I probably lacked, to be honest, mentors for the first part of my career. Um, I had lots of peers. I didn't really particularly have a mentor who I think completely understood me or a boss who I think um, understood me. And I think I've got two now that have been very key for me through the last three or four years. So um, I mentioned Russell Howcroft, but the other partner who I work with is Justin Paps. And I've worked with them both now for three or four years. They're very good friends. I kind of luckily found two very different people who have had long, successful careers in different ways who probably took me three or four years ago as this like lopsided ball of clay and have put scaffolding in me, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And completely accept all of the crazy weird stuff that I do daily um, wow. and guide me and yeah I'm, I'm having a ball working with them and when I didn't work with them they still took my calls and you know gave me inspiration and had long chats when we needed it and checked in and I'm very grateful for the fact that I've found a couple of people who have my back.
0: I know you've started because I'm part of it, The Trenches. Where did that start and why did you decide to start a mentor, mentee program?
1: Yeah, so if anyone doesn't know The Trenches is, um I think we started it about nine months ago, it's cross-industry so it's the first I think of a, its kind in that sense where it's Um, you know, across everything from creative media, marketing, tech, publishing, consulting, basically anyone who wants to take part um, and it's free. And it was set up for people particularly under 30. And that was, um, I guess, because as I said, I think that the most interesting people, whoever I come across are people from our industry and they enter and they are incredibly passionate and hungry and curious and warm and open and creative and weird and, as you said, I think our industry's gotten tougher. Um, we've become addicted to being busy. I guess there's a sense of sink or swim still. And there's this real paradox in our industry where you feel like you're family and you feel like you bond really quickly. As you know, in agencies, so you walk in the door, you go to the pub two days later and you're best friends. And that's awesome. And you mm. bond and you swear in front of the CEO and you can walk around with no shoes on and it's great. But then there's also this kind of dark side where. Um, There's still a sense with young people we found through research that, and I guess in my journey of talking to them and myself, that it's not safe to discuss challenges because there is always a threat to career and it's a highly competitive industry and you've got to Mm -hmm. always be on and say yes and be there and productive and, do your best. We did research that found that, that there was no mentoring programs for young people outside of their own organisation and that wasn't effective because they didn't feel like they could talk to their peers or bosses about the problems they were facing. So on top of that, I think um, what we also learned was there's a lot of imposter syndrome in, in the world, but in our industry it's big because we expect a lot without the experience to back it up. So we've got a heavy proportion of young people and um, there's not a huge amount of long-term training and patience. That leads to this kind of inertia around the ability to be vulnerable or um, Hmm. really feel like you can fail. When I took some time off to kind of rethink about my own challenges in our industry, a lot of young people and people in general came and talked to me about it. So I realised that there was a challenge and I had faced it myself. I was lucky to be part of a program called the Marketing Academy, which is a leadership program and part of it. Yeah, Yeah, of course. And part of that, you were allowed mentors and, um, I had the most incredible mentors. I had the most incredible females. So I had you know Nicole Taylor and Claire Solvedi and Katie Riggs-Smith and just oh. incredible people who then continued helping me after that and still talking to me and I, it was just invaluable. Yeah, and so we we joined with Young Buds, so um, Matt Gardner and Izzy Riggs.
0: How did that work? Did you approach them? Did they approach yeah, you? Yeah, what- a
1: guy in my team, uh, my old team at TBWA, connected me with, with um, one of them and I kind of pitched them the idea and they loved it and so they jumped on board and helped Mm. make it you know rounded out the idea it needed to be real so I didn't want to think that young people would like this so they represented Mm. point of view when we did some research and um, tested the concept but it's been amazing that we we've been overwhelmed with the support and the community we have we've got 500 people um, both mentors and mentees like yourself signed up incredible mentors I'm like oh, my God, smitten by the people that we have.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah.
1: And we have a waiting list, which uh, makes us anxious, but um, we're trying. It's it's a a really lovely thing and um, we hope to make more of it in the next few years. We've got big aspirations and we've got lots of people wanting to take it global. We just need to... As you yeah. said, find
0: the time. <laughs> find the time. Time gets in the way.
1: Time gets in um, the way.
0: I know we'll get back to it and you'll give me the links. You'll give the listeners the links. But, you know, honestly, it is a fantastic initiative and I really – I'm very honoured to be a part of it. I'm, I haven't been as active, so I must apologise as I, as I would be. My, get a child. You and of. But I'm very happy to give my time, as I'm sure all the other mentors – Uh, Because I think it's really important. And you're right, the industry is quite hyper-competitive and we don't have maybe the resources nor the the cultural uh, permission to be able to reach out to people and to be able to get advice. And I I find it similar to sport or young, you know, you get these young, I'm not comparing the advertising industry but there is a certain junification of the industry rightly or wrongly it's just at the moment i don't have an opinion on it really I, whether it's true or not i'm not sure but there's a discourse around junification of the industry like mm-hmm. top end really high paid people and then the rest of floor yeah. of juniors what i will say is it's like football teams you, or netball teams, or whatever sports, swimmers, or they're always quite young, and the emphasis is always on the task. Ie, winning all the game they play. Not a lot of time gets put into the emotional, the mental aspects of things, which mentoring is so important. And you see them, and they get into trouble. Or they they do stupid things, and it's because. So I really feel like the industry should be spending as much time in the softer, more you know, mental yeah. aspects of the game as well. Which is not. It's all because it's so outputs based. It's you know, you're only as good as your last job. That's the culture. Work hard, play hard. But it, it comes at a cost, hard. doesn't it? Yeah.
1: And there's so much happening now, like Never Not Creative's done a lot and hmm. um, limited and it's it's been a typical, like I think we hit that turning point where it was, um, you know, giving everyone permission to not be okay.
0: What does a typical day look like for you over at PwC now?
1: Similar to agencies or, or um, other consultancies where you're predominantly um you know working on client projects it's just probably that our projects are often longer we've been working on kind of two or three projects for the last three months ones with a big retailer uh, where we're doing kind of full marketing transformations, so um, brand strategy and marketing strategy media um, you know agency business models operations culture going in and looking across the entire um, central marketing function and and the business and that's really fun because I guess it's really interesting when you can see the puzzle holistically. Um, it's great to kind of actually have success in transforming it. So we spend a lot of time at client. We spend time back and forth like agencies do. But I guess a lot of our time is kind of diving into how the client thinks and their business um, as well as kind of then the external market and, and kind of finding the strategic solutions to solve that.
0: Is there a strategic way that PwC use, would you be able to talk about that without giving away trade secrets or anything?
1: There's not one way. We do have our frameworks, um, but I guess what makes our team and us different from maybe other, what we hear in market or or from other consultancies is that we are very flexible and agile with our frameworks because you have to be. Um, There is a consultant baggage perception that, um, you know, come in with the same framework apply the same methodology, give a PowerPoint pack and leave. Um, And we I think, by default of all being ex-agency or marketers, like to innovate with the framework and the solution, and and PwC is very good at that as well. It's very um, progressive. So, But we do have frameworks. I think the difference maybe in our brand framework is, as I said before, it's very much inside out. Um, But we'll do everything from that full brand inside-out layer all the way down to, you know, a, a marketing tactic or a positioning, um, right. writing briefs, working with agencies.
0: In terms of COVID, like, brands are pivoting and, and being quite creative with how they've adapted to yeah. the circumstances that have been thrown their way and the changing consumer behaviours. I, I find that little model, like, I'd love to see the study on this quite interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's um. It's almost like we forecast 10 years of um, change and it was kind of like, oh, my robotics will take off and people will be home and we'll have to expedite convenience and things and that's happened in about two months. Um, But the way that business is pivoted is beautiful. This combination we're seeing for the first time around market and state um, is great and that's a what Australia needs, we need to have an innovative market and state, which is kind of like how the government is now joining up with businesses to solve problems for both citizens and consumers, but society.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, yeah. Last year it's doing well there, but even really small companies are creating products now that are um, responding to the needs of COVID and and that's incredible. I think um, the disruption that we've seen around direct to consumer will be something. That that is... Absolutely,
0: yeah. I get yeah. really excited when you talk about Atlassian and um, market and state and you think about the battery plants in South Australia. That was, yeah. Atlassian. That was Atlassian, wasn't it? Was I that think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, that
1: was Elon
0: Musk. No. The, is that Elon Musk? Yeah, that was Elon Musk, 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 wasn't it? Yeah, it <laughs> was. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting my – but those things really – and what has happened with COVID and, and so on, those things really give me huge optimism. Yeah, Mm.
1: and we need that because um, what we've seen going back to when you brought up purpose is that um, in absence of leadership from a government perspective, we've kind of expected businesses to fill that gap and we've Mm. expected businesses to be leaders and to take um, corporate responsibility. And, yes, they should, but um, there's a role of the market um, and the state coming together to progress us as a nation, um and a people.
0: That's where we'll find Australia's identity. Goes back to the first topic we were talking about, like what is it as a brand? And I honestly think Australia is a brand that is an still it's a challenger brand it's an entrepreneurial brand it's yes. it, it, it's egalitarian and it should be like we're working together that's that's the culture i think australians will embrace and i think yes. when unfortunately we've got some politicians who do walk into parliament with blocks of coal and stuff and i just don't think that's the reality you know that's <laughs> you know that's not the reality we're an entrepreneurial nation we are we really are you know
1: we've been stuck and i think the next 20 years will be interesting but i would Um, Some of the stuff we're working on now is how do we not take advantage of this moment of stop and um, Mm. reflect on the big conversations and the small conversations and kind of unpack um, what needs to change in the way businesses behave, um, in the way governments behave, you know, society. And we're seeing some really beautiful things come through. As you said, there's like a shift from me to we, um, we're very collective again. Australia kind of lost its sense of community, and so we're seeing things that are busyness and distraction and consumerism and um, you know pursuit of self happiness got in the way. But there are things that are shifting, and then there's things that will go back. I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not in the unprecedented change, new normal bucket of, of dramatic COVID ad, but um, that will go back. Um, but I, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting time. Too.
0: I think COVID has brought about a focus on these things. I don't know if it brought brought around the cultural shift because that has probably been a slow boil for some time, but I thought it's brought us quickly into focus than we would have otherwise. So that's quite, quite an interesting perspective. Yeah. I
1: mean, we're going to see the rise of big institutions again. You're looking at the supermarkets, look at what Coles does for the community, look at our banks are standing up. Um, our government is kind of being agile for the first time. It's it's interesting. We'll, we'll see a resurgence in what big means in Australia because we, yeah. you know, we got GFC from banks and and that's really nice. But it's kind of that big and small kind of coming together from a community yeah. level.
0: So your day to day really involves some heavy cognitive load and, and you're processing and you're thinking creatively as well as um, strate- well, strategically, creatively pulling apart and picking apart a lot of complex issues with regards to businesses, and people and macroeconomics and all sorts of things. How do you two things, how do you maintain a healthy work-life balance and yes. how do you overcome that creative block? Oh, you know, good
1: questions. Mm, oh, Um, creative block first, that's been a hard one for me. I'm learning on that. And I have had to find personal outlets for creativity. Well, I'm very visual as a thinker. So I unfortunately need to write on walls still and butcher's paper. I'm very analog like that. And so I get people around me at work to come and and hope and hopefully do that with me creatively I love reading and I play computer games so I'm (laughs) a big um, computer game fan so I've played a lot of Nintendo Switch lately I'm redoing Zelda I'm that 30 year old female that's in that like peak demographic of gaming.
0: Zelda, like the Nintendo, like Zelda yeah. is the franchise oh, that all the gaming geeks just absolutely love. It's Zelda. Mine, I, my, I, I love Capcom as a developer and I absolutely love um, Mega Man X. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mega Man X. Um, anyway, so sorry we could geek out on games for a bit. No, sorry, I listen, like sorry listeners.
1: I think computer games are fun because like they're action oriented. I have an objective. I have to think mm. loudly and I'm in it I feel like I'm in it with someone, even
0: though it's myself. Speaking of in it, here's a question for you. This is nowhere related to what we've been just talking about, (laughs) but we can make the whole episode about this if you like. Nick Nick Bostrom, simulation hypothesis. Are we in it? Are we in the simulation?
1: Oh, my God
0: insane the hypothesis says that if computer games are a mark of advanced civilizations then the computer games will only get to a point where you won't be able to define reality from the simulation oh so God. therefore if there are millions of advanced civilizations in the universe the chances of us being not in a simulation is very slim but that's basically it, oh, I get it. nick bostrom simulation hypothesis it is friggin' mind-boggling Anyway, where were we before, we got, before I sidetracked you?
1: <laughs> Working on work-life balance, um, <laughs> that's an ongoing one for me. Yeah. Um, I suffered probably from that badly a year or two ago when um, I got quite sick from, from not having a work-life balance.
0: People have to make an effort to, to establish a work-life balance, to think about it. It's almost like I asked that question in a very throwaway manner, but it's so important, isn't it? I actually have to remind myself to drink water. Yes. Do you know, and it's the fundamental essence of life, but I have to remind myself, why is that?
1: I think I'm lucky now I have good colleagues who call me on it. I run kind of my own hours and expectations pwc is incredible at flexibility um there's no we've adapted to COVID greatly because we there's we travel a lot and there's no um need to be in an office from nine to five to show your face it's very um respectful and trusting in terms of
0: that's really good where
1: you can work best and so that's been great yeah and i think it's a moving beast for me i am my own worst enemy where I get addicted to either the work or the thinking or I get really interested in something or I, um, you mm. know, as planners or as creators, you can't turn your brain off because it's just rolling. Yeah. And you
0: so go down the rabbit hole and you don't come out for a while. <laughs> yeah, I do have that feeling.
1: It's my fault, yeah. mostly. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing but I thrive on a bit of adrenaline as we all do and it's finding mm. the balance. But, um, you know, I had a week last week where I was like, I'm not in balance, I'm not, I'm not doing well this week and then this week I'm much better. So, Oh, that's it, great,
0: yeah. So that's really good advice. I think looking after your work life balance is so important. I've really enjoyed our chat here. You know, it's just been so fluid and so supportive and and so positive. And, you know, we're covering some pretty, pretty, pretty hefty topics, but I think they're really important ones. I know I um have taken quite a bit of your time. We're about an hour in now. I uh. w- just wish we could keep going. But what I really would like to do <laughs> and in the yeah. essence of in, in, in the spirit of mentor-mentee and mentoring relationships, what would your bite of wisdom be if James wasn't a 44-year-old man sitting here but a young, up-and-coming, creative, entrepreneurial spirit looking to carve out a career in the advertising or marketing industries? What would your bite of wisdom be?
1: I've got two, actually. Sorry. <laughs> I can never stick to rules. Um, the first one, if it's for young people is um be a generalist um so i often say this to planners don't well it's fine if you are but like avoid just being isolated to a um, channel if you will or specific disciplines so social planner digital planner things like that um learn strategy holistically learn how businesses work across um you know beyond marketing as we talked about before um it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily work in a business or a corporate, but having a mindset about how things work outside of the advertising industry is critical. Um, it's one of the reasons why we started Trenches as Cross Industry, because there's not a lot of um, time or opportunity for young people to talk to people outside of their discipline. So we wanted young people to not just talk to other advertising agency people, but to go and talk to you know, people who work in technology or consulting or marketing. or So For me, it's always been um, broad. Obviously, um, that's kind of the T-shaped planner, but um, how do you think outside of of the strict brief or discipline that you're doing um, because that'll actually make better output and um, make you have a longer-term career and be able to be resilient and withstand changes and and forces that we will face. Um, The second one is probably the best piece of advice I've had. I had it recently recently. Um, it was from Russ, who, um, of all people, um, and it was assume good intent. And it was because it's just changed the way I think about um, most things, which was um, always assume good intent from everyone and from everything. Um, we are very reactive and I think there's like an entrenched paranoia sometimes or, you know, fear reflex or shame reflex Mm-hmm. um so before making a narrative or a story be it from a client be it from a colleague be it from your own mind um just assume good intent from everything and everyone and there it just takes it's often the true story in the end um but it applies to a lot of things in life and it's been very helpful in um deals and negotiations and like talking about work and talking to colleagues and talking to friends um, who might not have answered calls. If you just assume that there's good intention behind everyone, good intent,
0: and- yeah, it's not always the case. I look at an email and, and <laughs> uh, I don't assume <laughs> good intent all the time. I've, I've got to try. And, I've, I've got to try and sort of reframe the way I think about things. Thank you so much, Nikki.
1: <laughs> lively ignorant. Optimistic, <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I am a glass half full sort of person, but it's some reason. Emails, I assume, every email is out to get me. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh man, this hour's just flown by now. Where Thanks. can people um, get in contact with you? Give us your details, your socials.
1: Um, we're always looking for mentors and, men- and mentees. We would love to have you. Um, definitely email us. We'll add you to the list. We're going to shuffle people soon. It's hello at the trenches.com.au. Um, the trenches is one word but you can also find us on linkedin we've got a page there and there's um, our website and email address on that um but yeah definitely uh if anyone's interested please get in touch we're looking for anyone who wants to partner support um get involved it is a very open community um and yeah we want to grow it
0: (laughs) fantastic nikki bryson has been Thank in the house. You. I won't take any more of your time, but I <laughs> wish I could take another hour or two because I reckon we could solve all the world's problems. Be fun. Um, let's get you back on. Maybe Thank when you. you've made that book and that time has crunched a little bit. <laughs> <It's goodbye>. <laughs> <laughs> or at least when you're a little closer. Yeah. But stay safe. What an absolute pleasure. Take care and let's chat soon.
1: Thanks. Cheers, Thank you. With
0: you. See ya. Bye. If you'd like to find out more about me or the B-Side podcast, please visit jamesbside.com. That's one word, jamesbside.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at B-Side If you have any suggestions or feedback on the show, please email me at hello at jamesbside.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. The B-Side with James Barrow is produced by me, and I really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential. Thanks for listening, and until next episode, cheers.